We have missed you, choir. (laughs) And my experience of singing along with them is, it makes me sound fabulous. (laughs) I love that. Which is what we do for each other. We are people shaped by words. We are people brought together by words. We are people of the word. You know, Christianity and Judaism and Islam consider themselves people of the book. The book being the Bible or the Torah or the Quran. But those are not enough words for us. Uh-uh. <laughs> Heck no. So we are people of the word. And we're looking at that today because this month, in my head, and uh, I hear others, are often church shopping in August. You know, they've moved, they're putting their kids in new schools, moved to a new town. So to accommodate what we hope is a influx of newcomers into Tulsa to make our place more vital, we put a sign out down at the bottom of Sheridan that says, what's the big idea? And then every year I get to pick a new, what's the big idea? And this August, there is a very simple chalice lighting that the children learn, and it's useful for us to all learn because it comes with hand motions. And the thing about words, it is wonderful to have words carved into your bones and your brain circuits so that they're there when you are in desperate need. So this chalice lighting is... Very simple it goes, we are a church of the open mind, the loving heart, and now that people are doing it, I'm going to blank on what the other one is. Oh, helping hands, helping hands. (laughs) But that's only three. I needed a fourth for August. So I said, moving words. And I used moving because... Hopefully the words that we say to each other move us to new understandings and the meaning of words move, right? So the, um, the group of us that went to this leadership school were charged to read, I just want you to know how many words we read on your behalf. We had <laughs> <laughs> hundreds of words. But the most exciting words, which you have access to because they're online, there are a series of lectures that the UUA sponsors, and uh, it's called the MINS, M-I-N-N-S, lectures. And Alice Blair Wesley, who is a minister as well as a historian, had written a series of uh, historical and, and bringing the history into what it matters, how it matters in our life, series of essays about words and covenant in our history. Where she goes is back to the founding of the Dedham Church, D-E-D-H-A-M, back in Massachusetts colony days, so 1637. That's before there was something called a Unitarian or anything really called a universalist. These were devout Christians 
who were willing to leave England, not just because of religious persecution, but because of violence and the structure of their society no longer allowed them even to meet and discuss ideas. The state was so concerned that religious and political ideas follow such a narrow pathway that any groups that tried to meet were persecuted, jailed, even killed. So they were highly motivated to take a risky voyage and head to something they didn't know what would be on the other end of the ocean. And they spend a year, the story that Wesley tells is how they spent a year meeting weekly. Part of it is because they could, and no one was going to stop them. But they met weekly to discuss who they wanted to be and how they wanted to form a religious community. Because they knew in order to reject and move away from what they had that was so rigid, it would be so easy to be reactionary and say, okay, well, we're going to do just the opposite. And instead, they spent a full year listening to each other, discussing, talking about who they wanted to become. And Blair Wesley, gratefully, looks at, they kept a record a very exact record of the conversations they had and how it flowed. So we have a record of those conversations. And here's what's interesting. The words that are missing from those conversations are things like Christ the Lord, Jesus, God. They weren't having explicitly religious conversations, although the words under the words were a deep abiding belief in those religious symbols and stories and traditions. But instead, they were talking about, so how do we gather? How do we, what holds us together beyond simple belief statements and creeds? And I want to read. So what she did was read that on our behalf, so we don't have to read that um, weird spelling and ancient syntax um, and counted some of the words so that we would know what was foremost on their minds. In these pages, there is much use of these words. Reason, reasons, reasoning, reasoned, deliberation, make trial of, clearing, cleared up, Encouragement, advice, advise, counsel, agree, agreement, approbation, liberty, liberties, and promising. That's what they were about. That's what they were trying to protect. That's what they were trying to understand how those could rise up in a religious community and not be deadening. But then she goes on, but by far, The most commonly used words in this written history are affection, affections, affectionately, embrace, love, loving, lovingly. She says in the first 24 pages, I counted 32 uses of the words affection and love. Why? 
Because then and now, and for as long as human history lasts, when all is said and done, done and said some more, the integrity of the free church, they were trying to start the free church of which we are now grateful recipients, comes down to the spirit of love at work in the hearts and minds of the local members. Local members. We are so beholden to those weekly, year-long discussions. And so when we say love is the doctrine of this church in our covenant... We owe gratitude and the careful working out of what it means to be in relationship with each other. And every single generation has to work it out all again, but we're lucky to have at least the vessel or the chalice in which to work our magic. So I have been away a lot this summer at various UU events. I went to General Assembly, and then I went to The Point, which is a gathering of our region, and then the group of us went and read, on your behalf, the stack of words. Um, And at each one of those, we said an explicit covenant, and it was the essence of the covenant that we say, but also spelled out. So what does love mean when you're supposed to be in a meeting? Or what does service mean? So they were pretty explicit, and it was wonderful to read those. It got us talking about, do we clarify enough what, what our covenant is? We are people of the word. It's what gathers us in. And those words are tricky, really tricky. A word, you know, love, well, what can that mean? a gazillion different things and how do you apply it and how do you know when someone is not being loving every parent who's had to apply tough love knows that loving is not always giving in to what someone wants as I thought about this I, there was a, I took a linguistic class in college and I have never forgotten the story of a linguist his name was Worf. And he was um, actually a chemist. And he worked for the Hartford Fire Insurance Company first, before he became a linguist. That was his job, and he traveled all around New England doing fire inspections and making sure manufacturing implants and were safe, public buildings. And he noticed at one plant... They had storage rooms for chemicals and gasoline, and so in one, there were barrels that held flammable gasoline. The door was clearly marked. The barrels were clearly marked. People were respectful when they went in. This was that day and age where everyone smoked, and no one smoked in that storage area. But then once they were finished with the gasoline... Those empty barrels went into another storage area. And no one paid much attention because on the door was marked empty. 
And on the barrels, it was marked empty, and the lids were off. So workers, they snuck in there for a smoke. And he thought, huh, we use the word empty there, and that actually is the least empty, most flammable place possible. Isn't that interesting? And that led him to become a linguist. Empty is not empty. We struggle with the meaning of words. Words have to be big enough to encompass all that we mean and narrow enough to cut through deceit and untruths. And we expect words to do both of that, both, well, and more. <laughs> I got, uh, when I looked up for the sermon, when I double-checked, was that story really, did I, did I remember that right? Uh, I read a little bit more about his life, and this won't surprise you. He got interested in words before that incident at the plant when he started a religious journey and got interested in seeking and learned Hebrew. And so it was religion and religious texts that actually got him thinking about words. We want words. We're dismissive of words that no longer have meaning to us. God, spiritual. They're too broad. They don't say anything. Or they've been co-opted by a group and mean a very specific thing. And our covenants like that. Love, spirit, service, law. What do we mean? Forgot where I'm going. Ah. We want our words to not be empty, to avoid being inflammatory. Uh, I was thinking about reading some of the history that we've been reading how how for the longest time man the word man was used to represent humanity and pretty much everyone was in agreement we think we don't know because there were some who did not have a voice and even though there are beautiful Sentiments about freedom and equality that include the word man that we, we, our country is founded on. In the 70s, and a little bit sooner, people said, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I'm not included in that word. And that word was used generally because those who wrote those beautiful words were indeed Men who didn't recognize that maybe, or maybe they did recognize, I think they did. (laughs) I take that back. I know those letters to uh, John Adams. Don't forget the women. Um, But men were the ones with power. Men were the ones who could shape the world, supposedly. But it it changes how we see humanity. And once we began to 
become aware that man excludes half of the human race. We all, in our hymnal, in our speaking, in our writing, I do in my writing, make an effort to be more inclusive. Say humanity, people, folks, when I'm being folky. So at General Assembly, so General Assembly, if you don't know, is an international gathering annually of Unitarian Universalists. It's a Unitarian free-for-all with um, people of all ages from all congregations throughout the world, and it's exciting. It's the way a conference can be. It revs you up, and we have worship, and people singing, and giving speeches, inspiring us with words. And this year was no different. There were parts that were magical. So I was surprised when, on my way home, there is a, um, all the UU ministers are on a Facebook page, which is pretty fun. You could see what other ministers are thinking about. And someone wrote about the fact that the hymns that were sung in one of the major um, worship Worships was standing on the side of love. The first hymn we sang about walk and stand and how people who could not walk or stand might feel left out. I'm ashamed to admit my first reaction was, get over it. Okay, I'll use humanity, and <laughs> that pushes my button. But so it has made me think. And there were other ministers who chimed in and said, "You know, come on, it's metaphorical. Don't be so literal. We try very hard in this association to not be literal. We need words that speak to something bigger and larger." But at the same time, if someone says that word hurts me. I don't know we have to change it at that moment, but we sure have to listen carefully. That you feel excluded? Tell me more. It's actually a reason to step toward that complaint and not do what I did. <sighs> What's their problem? Because I don't see the world from a wheelchair at this height. I don't struggle to get up and down these steps. I have two legs. I can still bicycle and walk. I can open doors. I don't have to wait on people to help me. Don't tell my children that. <laughs> so it's an invitation. When someone complains about a word, it's an invitation to reorient your view of the world. So there was a beautiful thread of argument amongst ministers. They are people of the word. It's long. <laughs> but um, the person, one person who chimed in is someone who helps craft our words. So the song that the choir sang, Standing on the Side of Love, was written by a UU minister, and he's also a musician, so he's a UU minister of music. His name is Jason Shelton. 
And we've sung other things. There was, there, his works are in the hymnal. He's helped us. Um, he's been on the committees that write the new hymnals. And the story of where that song comes from is worth hearing. And I'm going to read you what he says. So he was attending a meeting about the Teal hymnal, the one that we don't all have a copy of but we sing from, the, the update, the attempt to broaden the language and music of our main hymnal. So he was in Boston attending a meeting about that new Teal. Thank you. <laughs> um, when the UUA president at the time, Bill Sinkford, word came that President Bush had just called for a constitutional ban on same-sex marriage. And the meeting was interrupted so that Sinkford could draft an immediate response. And this is Jason Shelton speaking. One of the things he said was, we stand on the side of love. It just struck me as he talked. I started writing down words. I literally heard the song in my head. I went home and my choir did it that Sunday. It was sung at a rally at the Massachusetts State House and the congregations in California used it for a standing on the side of love Sunday in February. It's just taken off from there. So he was following this thread of ministers struggling with worship words that aren't inclusive or that are so inclusive they no longer have meaning. How do you do that? So after a long, a number of people have chimed in, he'd been lurking and he steps forward and he said, so here's my truth. I wrote standing on the side of love in a moment of passion and creativity unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. It felt the song captured the spirit of a sacred transformational moment in our history. And to know that the words of that song are now a source of pain for some folks breaks my heart in ways I find difficult to name. How could such an encounter result in pain for another person? And yet, such is the case. Even for those who haven't written a song, our attachment to a song is often rooted in an experience of the holy, which the song made real for us. We ache for this connection. And thinking about abandoning words and songs and phrases connected to these transcendent experiences brings sorrow, fear, and yes, sometimes anger into our deliberations. And he struggles. Maybe we shouldn't sing the song anymore. Maybe it speaks of a moment that's now past. And he ends by saying, until we grapple with our own fears and reactivity around these issues, we are not ready to claim a place at the table. And he apologizes. He said, I'm so very sorry for my part in hurting those with those words. 
And later on in another thread, he, uh, the next day he said, I couldn't get to sleep and I'm working on other words. And metaphors aren't perfect. I, I have wondered about that song because of the image of a binary world that it presents. I remember um, going to protest down at our um, city council when there were police who wouldn't go into a, a mosque. Remember that? And a group came from out of town to support the police. And I showed up with others wearing uh, face masks that said, no hate. And we sang Standing on the Side of Love. And I have been in this, um, when, I've, when I've stood with women at reproductive services, I've been on that binary, these are protesters here and these protesters here, and it feels like there's no common ground. And the work we do here for me is that there is always common ground. Humanity. And so standing on the side of love implies that there is a simple dividing line. And when I stand here, all you over there on the wrong side of the line, just saying. But it's that struggle of words that cut through falseness, uh, lack integrity, and name the truth. Kind of do have to make that division. And at the same time, we always have to seek a way to be increasingly understanding. And by doing that, we are increasingly inclusive. God, I wish I had simple answers. But that's why we're here and why we come every Sunday. Because it is not simple. It is messy, messy work. Love is messy. I hope we don't ever sanitize it and keep after it and get our hands dirty. May it be so.